Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Civil Rights Act. So grab your peaceful protest. And let's get civical. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And today we just simply have to do the work. Mm-hmm. We have to do the work. A lot's going on right now, as everybody knows. And so we thought it would be apropos to sort of unpack and examine if you will the civil rights act because (laughs) one of the things that i'm saying a lot right now is like this this idea of like uh, like protesting what does it accomplish and it's like we have to just simply look at the civil rights act which was accomplished out of protesting yeah so Uh, lots of things but definitely one of the major Things being the protesting in various moments, various forms, marches, boycotts, sit-ins, you name it. You name it, they did it. And by golly, thank goodness they did. So, no banter at the top, I feel like. I feel like, listen, it's very hard to do this justice and to talk about what led up to the Civil Rights Act in a moment where we're seeing a lot of the same things. I mean, literally the same things happening on our streets right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if this is one thing, if we can get out some information that may not be known to a lot of people and we can do yep. it, you know, in a personable, relatable way, I feel like, you know, we're con- contribu- contributing to the conversation in a constructive manner. And yeah. This is a, you know, this is one of those episodes, you know, we can joke about the CDC and the United States Postal Service, but I feel like this is, especially now in this moment, is, um, n- you know, not a time for joking about things. Surely I, not. I don't even know what jokes we would make. I don't have any in the canon. I truly <laughs> right. don't. You didn't prepare I jokes about don't. the Civil Rights Act? <laughs> can you imagine? Absolutely not. You would be I canceled, if- like, as you're taking off. I know. And, and like, you know, obviously I'm on Twitter and stuff and I do see comedians, you know, making some sort of like jokey or bits out of it. And I'm just like, oh, my God. No. Stop. Stop. It's not the moment. So no. we're not going to do that. We're just going to nope. talk about information. And, yep. you know, 
and and get it out there. Get it out there. We're going to talk about the Civil Rights Act, what it was, mm-hmm. what led to it, the events that led up to it, the groups that were a part of it, what's in the legislation, the the path of passage of the act. So just to give you some history and some context and some information about what the Civil Rights Act is, was, does, did. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And just a quick little aside, I want to give a special shout out to our intern, Houston, who did help us with these notes. Thank you, Houston. Houston. We would be lost without you. And you know that. (laughs) Truly, surely. Truly, surely. Okay. So let's start with the basic question, which is, what is the Civil Rights Act? And these notes are coming from History.com and the National Park Service. So the Civil Rights Act, first and foremost, it ended segregation in public places. Thank God. Mm -hmm. It also banned employment discrimination based on sex, religion, race, color, or national origin. So that's like one thing off the bat where it's like the Civil Rights Act, you know, it's often associated with sort of the, you know, the movement of uh, the rights for, you know, the black community. But also it's like this act also helped out like women, immigrants, like all of these other different things, which is amazing. So also great. It also enforced desegregation of schools and the right to vote. And it was signed into law on July 2nd, 1964, just hours after the House passed the Senate version of the bill. So let's talk about what led to the Civil Rights Act. And we have a lot of we have a lot of stuff coming, a lot of things. A lot of sources. So it's coming from history.com. It's coming from the Jim Crow Museum at Ferris State University. It's coming from OYA's, our friends over there. It's coming from the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute at Stanford, the New York Times, and the Equal Justice Initiative. Yes. So literally, yeah. we got everybody in a room. Everybody's everybody's here. <laughs> yeah, every, they all showed up. Yeah. Everybody's accounted for. Yeah. So what led to the Civil Rights Act? Peaceful protests were breaking out throughout the South, including famously the one in Birmingham, Alabama, where the police used brutal force, such as dogs, clubs, and high-pressure fire hoses to suppress the peaceful protesters. First proposed by JFK, the bill was opposed by Southern congressmen, but was signed into law in 1964. President Kennedy initially delayed supporting new anti-discrimination measures, oh, JFK. In June of 1963, he proposed the most comprehensive civil rights legislation at the time and said the U.S., quote, will not be fully free until all of its citizens are free. But of course, as we all know, President Kennedy was assassinated that November, so November of 1963, in Dallas. And then President LBJ took up the cause and said in his first State of the Union, quote, Let this session of Congress be known as the session which did more for civil rights than the last hundred sessions combined. Yeah. So that gives you like a very, very truncated overview of the arc of what was happening. They were, I mean, there were these, you know, there, there were peaceful protests and various kinds of, you know, marches across the country. And then, you know, the executive leadership at the federal level was trying to pass a bill. Yeah. But there were things that, you know, they didn't, you know, Kennedy didn't arrive there 
you know, that's not where he started. He wasn't pro. It took him a while to get to like being right. pro civil rights for black people. And so, you know, there were things that led up to that. So we're going to talk about <clears throat> groups and moments and, and individuals who had a hand, who act, who acted, took action. It did something that, that forced the passage of the civil rights act and, and really highlighted the importance and absolute need for equal rights uh, for Black people in the United States. Here's a disclaimer. There's, it is impossible for us to talk about everything and everybody. So these are some select instances and, and big important moments. We are going to... It's also really hard to like keep an episode of 50 minutes and give all of these things their fair due time and just you know give them justice to all the people who had a hand in in protest moments or you know we're going to talk about Jim Crow laws you know we're we're going to talk about them here we'll do a whole separate episode on lots of these things down the line but in the passage of the civil rights act we just want to give you some immediate information that you can take away in a bit of a timeline that leads up to the civil rights act yes so we're going to start with Jim Crow laws this is coming from the Jim Crow Museum at Ferris State University which I feel like we have to go visit. It's it's sure absolutely. It's in Michigan, but I feel like yeah. the next which is such an interesting place for it to be. It's right. It's I was like, well, because it's in a city called Big Rapids, and I was like, oh, dear. I wonder if that's near Grand Rapids. <laughs> and sure enough, it's like to the west of Grand Rapids, and I was like, why is this here? It feels so bizarre. But I, I mean. I don't know how, I mean, I don't know how that came about. It's where Ferris State University is. And so I don't know how they came to, you know, the museum became a part of the the university, but it is. They're a great resource. I mean, they like, they have a lot of information. It's all very clear and accessible. And so, you know, read whatever books you're reading about Jim Crow laws. But if you also like want just some immediate information, I suggest Googling Jim Crow Museum at Ferris State University, and they will take you to some information. So the Jim Crow laws, Jim Crow was a name, was the name of a racial caste system that operated primarily, but not exclusively in Southern and border states between 1877 and the mid-1960s. They were more than just, they weren't really, I mean, some of them were laws, but they were more just, you know, rules and guidelines and kind of general understanding about ways. Yeah, social status understandings. Yeah, and how you how like black people were supposed to like basically de-status themselves in the company of white people and right. how white like it you know ensured that white people always had status above black people. They put in place like we you know they put in place a system of expected behavior from black people that made them subservient to white people. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow laws maintained that quote whites were superior to blacks in all important ways including but not limited to intelligence, morality, and civilized behavior. Sexual relations between blacks and whites would, um, they believe that sexual relations between blacks and whites would produce a mongrel race, which would destroy oh America. Close Good quote. God. Yeah. Some example, examples of Jim Crow laws offered by the Jim Crow Museum are, quote, blacks were not allowed to show public affection toward one another in public, especially kissing because it offended whites. Quote, if a black person rode in a car driven by a white person, the black person sat in the back seat or the back of a truck. Quote, white motorists had the right of way at all intersections. <laughs> I'm just like, at this point, I just like, this is where I just get like, 
<laughs> I mean, all of that is awful. But then it, it's it's also it's just like you're just it's so stupid. Like it's so stupid. Like yeah, that's I mean, it's so petty. It's so petty. It's so fucking it gets petty. So petty. You know, it like from like macro like major horrific things to just like the pettiest of things of yeah. like you know i mean even separate bathrooms is as petty as you can get right you know what i mean right. like yeah fuck jim crow yeah i mean there was another one that i didn't put in here but it was like if a of a black man like a black man is never introduced to a white man the white man is always introduced to the black man and it's always like the black person is always called by their first name. The white person mm-hmm. is always Mister So and So. Right. And yeah. if you're in, you know, it's like if you're being introduced to, if a black person was being introduced to a white man, the person doing the introduction would say like Mister So and So. This is Bob that I told you about. Not like you know, like right. th- it was always like here is I am making I'm introducing you to this person because you have the higher status. I mean, right. It, I mean. <laughs> Aside from the obvious injustice of it all, it feels like so much work. Sure. It feels like, I mean, that is a lot lot of work and inconvenience to maintain your social, what you perceive to be your social structure. Like, you're entitled right to a social structure that puts white people at the top. Like, white motorists had the right-of-way at all intersections. I just bought a car. And I'm like, right, four-way stop. Okay, you go, and then you go, and then I go. Like, that is enough. To also worry about, like, who is what race in the car. It's like. Insane. 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 All right, let's talk about Plessy v. Ferguson, which was a Supreme Court case. So this is obviously coming from OEAs. Mm Mm-hmm. So the facts of this case were Louisiana enacted the Separate Car Act, which required separate railway cars for black and whites. In 1892, Homer Plessy, who was seven-eighths Caucasian. Oh, my God. I had to, like, read that and be like, what? Yes. Who? (laughs) So Homer uh, Plessy, who was seven-eighths Caucasian, agreed to participate in a test to challenge the act. He was solicited by the Comité des Citoyens. Actually, that's probably pretty good. Thank you. It's the Committee of Citizens, which was a group of New Orleans residents who sought to repeal the act. They asked Plessy, who was technically black under Louisiana law, to sit in a whites-only car of the Louisiana train. The railroad cooperated because it thought the act imposed unnecessary costs via purchase of additional railroad cars. When Plessy was told to vacate the whites-only car, he refused and was arrested. So kind of a Rosa Parks of railway cars. Yes. At trial, Plessy lawyers argued that the Separate Car Act violated the 13th and 14th Amendments. The judge found that Louisiana could enforce this law insofar as it affected railroads within its boundaries. Plessy was convicted. In short, the court held that segregation was not a form of discrimination. Yeah. And this is where, like, Plessy versus Ferguson is where they said, as long as it's separation is okay, as long as the accommodations are equal. Yes. Gotcha. And it was it was important that, because the, 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 the way that they ended up enforcing the Civil Rights Act was through, like, interstate, like, the Interstate Commerce Clause. And so mm-hmm. it was important that the court ruled that 
that it was within because it that Louisiana could enforce the law and its railroad cars like within the state, mm-hmm. within its boundaries. But so this was then law for like for years until Brown right. v. Board. That yeah, as long as this you is had in 1892, right? And this act, when does Brown v. Board come around in the 50s, 60s, 54? Yeah, right. yes, yeah, so in the 50s. Yeah. So from 1892 to 1954, we're coasting. Yes, yes, on this separate but equal idea. Yeah, through like multiple world wars. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, like we're all just like separate but equal. It's like you know, it's it's just such bullshit. It's such yeah. bullshit. So that was Plessy v. Ferguson. That was the law of the land for an embarrassingly obscene amount of time, and then. After that, the court case that took that down was Brown versus Board of Education. In this case, this is also coming from Oye, this case was a consolidation of cases that were happening in Kansas, South Carolina, Virginia, Delaware, and Washington, D.C. that related to the segregation of public schools on the basis of race. So public Mm -hmm. schools in those states were saying, like, this is a black school, this is a white school. And... For ease, the course, the Supreme Court heard all of these cases as like one unit because they all had the same. They were all doing yeah. the same thing, which is like that's what they do. You that's know? what they, they do. do that with like the gerrymandering cases yeah. where they threw Ohio and who you know, yeah, put them all in a package. Was like this is what we're saying. This is what we're saying about this thing. Yeah, and each of the cases, African American students had been denied admittance to certain public schools based on laws allowing public education to be segregated by race. The court argued that segregation violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The plaintiffs were denied relief in the lower courts based on Plessy versus Ferguson, which held that racially segregated public facilities were legal, so as long as the, as long as the facilities for blacks and whites were equal. Spoiler, they never were. No. <laughs> That's also bullshit. This was known as the Separate but Equal Doctrine, which we talked about at, under Plessy versus Ferguson. The Supreme Court ruled that separate but equal educational facilities for racial minorities is inherently unequal, violating the equal, equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment. So they bas- the court was basically like, no. Right. No, that's stupid and <laughs> yeah. not and achievable. obviously not. Right. <laughs> Nobody's equal here, and we no. all know it, you guys. Yeah. The jig is up here. The jig is up. Another important uh, moment in the civil rights movement was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And this information is coming from the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute at Stanford. And so this conference, was the SCLC, was established in 1957 after the Montgomery bus boycott. And their goal was to redeem, quote, the soul of America through nonviolent resistance. It coordinated the actions of local protest groups throughout the South and was led by Martin Luther King Jr. The organization drew on the power and independence of black churches to support its activities. That's the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And then we also have the Birmingham Campaign. And this is also from the MLKJ Research Institute at Stanford. And that was, so in April of 1963, MLKJ and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference joined with Birmingham, Alabama's existing local movement, the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, in a massive direct action campaign to attack the city segregation system by putting pressure. 
pressure on Birmingham's merchants. The, quote, desegregation campaigns was launched with a series of mass meetings, direct action, lunch counter-sit-ins, marches on City Hall, and boycott of downtown merchants. Look, it's all, you know, always go after commerce. Mm-hmm. King spoke to black citizens about the philosophy of nonviolence and its methods and extended appeals for volunteers at the end of mass meetings. With the number of volunteers increasing daily, actions soon expanded to kneel-ins at churches, sit-ins at the library, and a march on the county building to register voters. Hundreds were arrested. This sounds so very familiar. (laughs) Yes. On Good Friday, which was April 12th, King was arrested in Birmingham after violating the anti-protest injunction and was kept in solitary confinement. During this time, King penned the, quote, letter from Birmingham jail on the margins of the Birmingham News in reaction to a statement published in the newspaper by eight Birmingham clergymen condemning the protests. Yeah, that's where we get that. Yeah. And there was a big, like, there was a big debate between the the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, I mean, among their members and the members of the the movement, the uh, Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, because they they didn't know, like, they knew that if Martin Luther King, like, went to this protest, that there was a high likelihood that he would be arrested. And what they, at the time, like, what they were, what they needed him for really was, I mean, he was the leader. And they needed money because they were all they were bailing out all of these protesters. Right. And as like the key fundraiser for the movement, they were like, should you be arrested? And at the end of the yeah. day, he was like, you know, yes. And ended yeah. up, I mean, <laughs> went to go get arrested. I mean, I don't not that he went with that intention, but he knew with that that, that with it was the, a high, high probability outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And then he sat in jail for like a, a week. And they wouldn't let him call his wife, Coretta Scott King. And finally, they like they got some politician on the phone. I think it was actually I think it went all the way up to the White House, and the White House called and was like, "Um, guys, to let him talk to his wife." Guys. And so they did. But it was, uh, yeah. I mean, to talk about you know to do justice to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in you know five minutes is not possible. But they were, you know, it was the huge. It was the group. The, the movement yeah. group leading all of this. And, um, you know, there were other other groups that were also doing a lot of work. But they, they you know, they, their, their ability to partner with, you know, local movements in various states right. helped them amass kind of large numbers and really, you know, make the protests and the boycotts, the sit-ins, the kneel-ins, all of that really have an effect and show their power. because right, it was in, like, mass. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about, there were two deaths of individuals, uh, two murders that had an effect that I think really, you know, lit the fire under a lot of these actions that we're talking about. The first is the murder of Medgar Evers. This is coming from the New York Times. Mr. Evers was a 37-year-old Mississippi field secretary for the NAACP, and he was shot in the back by a sniper with a high-powered rifle in the driveway of his home, just after midnight on June 12, 1963. His murderer was a member of the KKK and an avowed white supremacist. 
He was not, this is going to make you mad, he was not convicted until the third trial, which was held in 1994. So like 30, ex- almost exactly 30 years 30 later. years later. The first two trials were all white jurors. Sure. And at least one, if not both, were hung, were hung juries, and so he got off. And then they, re- they retried him, and... I think it was a case that started, you know, years before 1994. I think it started in 1990. But they, it was, I think, eight black jurors and four white jurors, and they mm-hmm. voted to convict him. And and he's been in jail and still, you know, says he's innocent. I'm not sure if he's died now. And honestly, I don't care. We didn't even include his name. <laughs> As we should not, because no. his name does not matter. The other was a the murder of a man named William L. Moore. And this is coming from the Equal Justice Initiative. The body of William L. Moore, uh, he was 35, was found on U.S. Highway 11 near Tala, Alabama on April 23, 1963. Moore was a white man. He had completed 70 miles of his one-man civil rights march from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. And he was intending to ask the Mississippi, Mississippi Governor Ross Barnett to support integration. He wore signs that stated, quote, end segregation in America, eat at Joe's both black and white, close quote, and, quote, equal rights for all Mississippi or bust, close quote. He was a member of the, Cong- of the Congress of Racial Equality, also known as CORE, and had staged lone protests in the past walking to Annapolis, Maryland from his home in Baltimore and also marching to the White House. When they found him, he had been shot dead in the head with a twenty-two caliber ri- caliber rifle belonging to a white Alabaman, whose name I, we're not going to say. The man was arrested, but never indicted for Moore's murder. Simply love when that happens. (laughs) It's like, what's the point? I just, they found his body in the side, on the side of the road. Like, still wearing his protest Signs, Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. 
go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. And of course, so all of this is leading up to what many of us know, which is the March on Washington. And this is coming from, again, the MLKJ Research and Education Institute. So on August 28th, 1963, more than 200,000 demonstrators took part in the March on Washington for jobs and freedom in the nation's capital. The march was successful in pressuring the administration of JFK to initiate a strong federal civil rights bill in Congress. This is, of course, where MLK delivered his I Have a Dream speech. And then after that, we have the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. And this is coming from the National Park Service. So just before 11 a.m. at the start of Sunday church service on September 15th, 1963, a bomb exploded under the steps of the church. Those inside sought safety under the pews and shielded each other from falling debris. In the basement, four little girls, 14-year-olds Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, and 11-year-old Cynthia Wesley were killed. Addie's sister Susan survived but was permanently blinded. The 16th Street Baptist was a large and prominent church located downtown, just blocks from Birmingham's commercial district and city hall. Since its construction in 1911, the church has served as the centerpiece of the city's African-American community, functioning as a meeting place, social center, and lecture hall. And because of its size, location, and importance to the community, the church served as headquarters for civil rights, mass meetings, and rallies in the early 1960s. So, uh, I mean, no wonder it was a target, but so yeah. awful. So awful. I don't know if you've ever been. There's a, a civil rights museum that opened, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago in Atlanta. And mm. it's like a, it's a civil rights and human rights. So there's like the, the first floor is all like civil rights stuff. And then the top floor, I think, is... Um, like international human rights and they it's it's amazing it's an amazing museum and because it's kind of it's like as interactive as you could make (laughs) that kind Mm -hmm. of museum so they actually have they have these like huge stained glass windows that have their these the the girls pictures in in the windows and they have like all, all this audio stuff where you can hear people talk about like being there and they have a lunch counter where you can sit. It's like an old 1950s style, 60s style lunch counter where you sit and you put on these headphones and you first you hear like the clanking of a news counter or a, a lunch counter. And and then you hear people coming up like somebody comes up behind you. And what you realize is like you're the black person sitting at the counter mm-hmm. and the people come up from behind you and they're like they try to get you to leave. And what that I mean, it just makes you, it puts you in that place as much as you possibly could. 
And like I knew that the the I knew about the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, but it was really um when I went there, guy like five, six years ago, it like seeing their faces and hearing the audio and and then in like the context of all of this other memorabilia that does such a good job of telling the story, you really feel like I mean it's it, it just hits you differently when you can see and hear it. Sure, yeah. You know, it's I mean, like, it's very, absolutely. very palpable. So if you're in Atlanta or, you know, going to be in that vicinity in some, you know, near moment, and it's open because of COVID, who knows? If you're going to be there, I highly suggest the Civil Rights Museum. It's downtown. You can go there and you can go to the Coca-Cola Museum too, <laughs> if you so want. A dynamic to. duo. A dynamic duo if ever there was one. Yeah, but it's it's a great place. We should go. So... All of that was leading up to the passage of the Civil Rights Act. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, a for sure thing, but that was the goal right. was the passage of the Civil Rights that Act. Was propelling the movement. Yes. You know, giving it energy. And so this is all coming from, uh, we're going to talk about the passage of the Civil Rights Act. This is coming from History.com, the National Park Service, and our friends at the Constitution Center. So during debate on the floor of the House, uh, when they were debating the Civil Rights Bill in in the House side, Southerners argued that passing the bill would usurp the rights of individuals and states, which is only bullshit. <laughs> right. Well, it's just it's that quote that like equality to those in power looks like oppression. Right. You know? Right. But also, I don't even I mean, there's no logic there. And obviously that's true. No. But even if you no. entertain the fact that like. Like, what was the argument that it usurps, like, the individual and states' rights to do what? To do what? what? To do, you're, I don't, I'm not the Southerners holding up the (laughs) the Civil Rights Act. No, you're not. I'm, I'm also saying to do what? Right. To do what? I mean, the answer is to keep people separate and apart, but. Yes. Individual rights to do what? Be assholes and racist and mean? Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. The act was approved February 1964, and the Senate Majority Leader Mike Mansfield made the unusual move of bypassing the Judiciary Committee because that committee was chaired by an anti-bill senator. So he didn't, the senator in charge of the Judiciary Committee, where the bill normally would have gone, was against it. And so instead of, yeah, and so the Democrats had the control of the Senate. And thank God, because they, instead of sending it to the committee, they just put it right on the calendar, the main Senate calendar, and put it uh, for a vote. But when he, when Senator Mansfield made the first motion about the bill in the Senate, a well-organized filibuster attempt started. <sighs> yeah. Had the, it, it failed eventually. Had it been successful, the Civil Rights Act would have been finished for that state, for that Senate session. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to delay it to push it to the next session in the hopes of like getting some of their Republican colleagues back. Right. Southern senators and border state Democrats staged a 75 day long filibuster, one of the longest in U.S. history. During the filibuster, Senator Robert Byrd, a former KKK member of West Virginia, spoke for and a piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah, piece of shit. Spoke for 14 hours straight. I just. The absolute gall. Like, I don't even hate any, I don't hate anybody that much. Like, the sure. um, the level of hate. Yeah. And, and like, probably 
fear of some kind, although I don't really care or know what that fear would have been. But like, and not of like a people, but of like a changing way of life. Like, I do think that like when let pe- when things change, people do get scared, and like, right, that can that's like a a reaction. But I don't care about anything. Like, I don't hate anybody that much to stand there for 14, like, not even the bullies that I went to grade school with. (laughs) Like, I just don't, like, care to spend time on them. And yet this man stood there for 14 hours straight arguing that black people weren't people. Piece of (laughs) shit. Just. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. Roll over in your grave. Other senators who were committed to the filibuster effort were the powerful senators Richard Russell, Senator Thurmond, but of course, William Fulbright and Sam Irvin. Pieces of shit. <laughs> Pieces of shit. The piece of shit club. They're all oh here. Oh my God. All here and accounted for. Yep. Senate yeah. Minority Leader Everett Dirksen nurtured the bill through compromise discussions and ended the filibuster. It's a quote according to the National Park Service. With the help of behind-the-scenes horse trading, the senators in in support of the bill obtained their two-thirds majority to end the debate. On June 10, 1964, Dirksen made a powerful speech that served to bring more Republicans onto his side in the fight. He made his case and quoted author Victor Hugo, quote, Stronger than all the armies is an idea whose, whose time has come. Close quote. The senator then reminded his colleagues that the Republican Party stood for equality since its founding in the years before the Civil War. Thank Lincoln was you. a Republican. The party of Lincoln, honey. <laughs> I feel like Dirksen's like, remember where we came from. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come on. Come on. He also, I think, was from Illinois. So, it, like, he was the right man to do it. Like, sure. Dirksen was the right man to be like, let me just hold out this big old top hat card. Yeah. In front of all y'all, bitches. Come on. He he played the Lincoln card. He really did. And he waited to the exact right moment. Sure. The same day that Dirksen and his colleague Humphrey, who I think was a Democrat, he was working with, Dirksen was a Republican working with the Democrats to like get the numbers that they needed. So the Humphrey, yeah, yeah, the Humphrey-Dirksen group got 71 votes to end the filibuster, which was four more than they needed. And 27 Republicans decided to support the act. 27 Republicans. 27 Republicans in 1964 said, you know what? Sure. Sure. You know what, right? We are the party of Lincoln. We shouldn't be racists. Right. One of the votes came, one of the votes for the Civil Rights Act uh, came from California Senator Claire Angle, who was too sick to speak, but signaled I by pointing to his eye. Okay. We love that. Look, whatever you need to do. Like, I don't care. Whatever you I don't you care if do. you say yes. Yes. Like, point to the eye. Go for it. I mean, right. you could have given the old John McCain thumbs up. Right. <laughs> Although he did a thumbs down, you know. <laughs> right. He was like. But a little, it's a little on the nose. The nose. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a little on the. Great. I don't care. As long as it's yes. Like, yes. let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Dirksen's compromise bill. Passed the Senate 83 after 83 days of debate. Jesus Christ. 83 days of debate and filibuster. The bill finally passed the Senate. It filled 3,000 pages in the congressional record. It was sent to the House, where they quickly approved their the Senate version of the bill. They had already approved yeah. their own. The Senate had yeah. a different ber- version, so they had to pass the Senate version. 
And LBJ, Lyndon Baines, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, signed it hours later. He was just like, let's go. Let's go. About flipping time. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, so with that, we're going to talk about what is the actual, like, what's in the actual act, what all of the titles are, so we can know what we're all, what we've, what we got from this piece of legislation yep. that almost did not come to be by a group of pieces of shit. So here we go. I think you should so make title- that t-shirt. <laughs> They're all pieces of shit. Um, this is coming from Encyclopedia Britannica. Okay. Title one. Of the act guarantees equal voting rights by removing registration requirements and procedures biased against minorities and the underprivileged. That's Title One. Yep. Title Two prohibits segregation or discrimination in places of public accommodation involved in interstate commerce. Title Three. Title Three bans states and their subsidiaries from denying access to public facilities. Title IV calls for the desegregation of public schools. Title V broadens the duties of the Civil Rights Commission. Title VI assures non-discrimination in the distribution of funds under federally assisted programs. And Title VII bans discrimination by trade unions, schools, or employers involved in interstate commerce or doing business with the federal government. The latter section also applies to discrimination on the basis of sex and establishes a government agency, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to enforce these provisions. Yeah. I mean, a landmark piece of legislation if there ever was one. If there ever was one. (laughs) That did so much more for just people beyond. I mean, I know I said this earlier, but people beyond the black community. That's why I'm like... You guys, because of the black community fighting for their rights in the 1960s, yeah, it gained so many more people, women, immigrants, people yep. with disabilities, so many more protections than they ever would have dreamed to have had. So I feel like right now, let's rally behind the people who have already done so much for us. <laughs> yep. U dot S dot. That is how I feel. I think that's appropriate. I am 100% Exclamation point. (laughs) Exclamation point, neon signs and fireworks. Neon signs and fireworks. Neon signs and fireworks. So, you know, I can only hope that something as meaningful can come out of this, you know, and that politicians can... Stop being pieces of shit long enough to do something <laughs> for the greater good. Get their heads out of their asses and do something productive. Sure. Everybody, yeah. I can't stress enough. You simply must vote. <laughs> you simply must vote. You simply must turn in your census sure. thing, um, your census paperwork, and because all of that is important, and that's those are the right now the only ways that we have a check on any of this power yeah so that's the civil rights act and what led to the passage of that that important piece of legislation we're going to continue this conversation in our next episode that's coming out next wednesday and 
you know, we want to talk about, we, we ended the episode with, you know, what's in the act, because what we want to do is talk about, like, what happened after that? Did it, did it work? Is it still working? What's the status of the Civil Rights Act? I, who's looking at it? (laughs) You know, like, where, who's in charge of all of that? You know, what's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission up to? How's that going? So, you know, we're just going to do, we're going to continue this conversation in the next episode and do a check-in on on current modern-day civil rights stuff. Yes. So look out for that. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We love you so, so much. Please visit BlackLivesMatter.com and find out how you can get involved and be helpful right now. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so much and we will see you next Wednesday. Thanks and stay safe. Bye.